Thanks for tuning in to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek science fiction, fantasy and horror podcast. This is episode 504, taped on Thursday the 12th of October 2023 at 002626. Let's start at the beginning with... Not a pregnant pause. What I mean by that is I didn't want to call this episode The Pregnant Pause. It's been overused, so instead I called it something more pompous. The Portentous Interval. I'll explain why at the end. Also, before we start properly, I'd like to say hello to Penny, who I met while having my Jalopy's windscreen changed on the 4th of October. Oh, yeah, the windscreen broke. I think I went over a pothole and in the morning found almost a foot-long crack in the windscreen. So that's not something that's just going to buff out or that you can glue back. And I had to drive to this place to have it replaced. Penny made the time pass delightfully as we talked about a lot of very geeky things. And I really enjoyed that. In honour of our meeting, I will try, endeavour, to be a little less myself tonight. A little less miserable, (laughs) a little less gittish. My pre-show tipple tonight... As I was comfort re-watching Alien, I still am, I've paused around ten minutes in, is one of those absurdly huge cans of Monster Ultra. I'm not talking about the normal can, I'm talking about the Mega Can. This thing is absolutely ridiculous. It's so big, you probably need life support after drinking one of those. I'm drinking that poured over some fresh lemon juice. And that is to wash down a Taza Sweets Bondi Ladu. It's an Indian sweet. I'm not going to explain more than that. But these things were unavailable for a very, very long time. This is the first time I'm eating them in years. I don't know if it was to do with the pandemic. But my mum was in the market, she saw these, she bought them for me, and I'm eating them. Thank the gods. What didn't I say in the intro bit? Time, what I'm recording, episode number... Oh yeah, I didn't tell you what mic I'm using because I am back on the SM7B, I know, God help me. I don't even want to explain that. Let's go on with the show. Before we get into the main part of the show, where I talk about science fiction, fantasy and horror, and boy, there is a lot of that this week, let us canter (laughs) into off-topic forest. And talk some non-geek stuff, and just life stuff, and tech stuff. Stuff like that. I'm saying stuff too much. On the subject of media, I watched a miniseries called Black Snow on iPlayer in the UK. That's the BBC on-demand service. In Black Snow, we have a cold case cop. He has quite a traumatic backstory. He was terribly abused by his father as a child. So was his whole family. This damaged cop heads into the countryside, into this town that is dependent on a sugar mill. And that sugar mill is in turn dependent on exploiting itinerant Melanesian workers. The cop, a white guy, is there to solve the old murder of a schoolgirl. 
By the end of the show, the solution to the murder is depressingly banal. It is the work of a terribly racist bastard. At the end, the cop also has a meeting in prison with his jailbird father, who dangles the possibility of reunification with his long-lost brother, which sets the scene for a second season. In Black Snow, the actor who plays the cop seems to be channeling Brad Pitt in his scuzzier, beardy period, but he, I think, is actually a better actor than Brad Pitt and can properly emote Something that Brad Pitt, I don't think, can do very well. The copper, an abused child, now a masochistic adult who pays a bloke <laughs> at the beginning of the series to beat him up. There's also the theme of an oppressed culture and vicious racism. All those things did not make the show entertaining, but it was engrossing. The 2023 Australian show is now available in the UK on BBC iPlayer, as I probably just mentioned. And now for some personal trivia. My family is from Mauritius and Mauritius, and yes, I know people say Mauritius, but we say Mauritius, used to be run predominantly on the sugarcane industry. I vividly recall the taste of fresh cane juice on my visits to Mauritius. I remember the smell of burning sugarcane fields, which gives us the title of this show, Black Snow, because when the sugarcane fields are burning, this sugarcane ash comes down. I even remember the incredibly bad stench inside the sugarcane factories, something to do with the industrial process. Not only that, an uncle of mine, who was a lovely chap, he's now deceased, was this tough-as-nails cane cutter. When I was a muscly young whippersnapper, I was going to the gym a lot, and I was on holiday in Mauritius, I remember how my uncle, who was a slim and elegant chap, who always wore a fedora and was always well turned out, didn't even blink as he utterly destroyed me in an arm wrestle that I challenged him to. (laughs) I also remember my uncle's generosity when he took me out on bicycles that he had hired just for the occasion to show me around and introduce me to his domino-slamming mates at his social club. I later inherited his cane knife when he passed away, and I really miss him. I miss my uncle. I've kind of strayed. Let's move on to the next thing. Okay, moving on from Black Snow. Here we are again with some more crime in The Long Shadow. This is ITVX's 2023 dramatisation of serial killer Peter Sutcliffe's reign of terror in the 70s in the UK. It is a gritty portrayal of a police investigation plagued with difficulties, errors, and misogyny. Like Black Snow, I would not say that I enjoyed it exactly, but it was very engaging, and it was one of those true crime dramas of the type that ITVX has become so competent at producing. They seem to be the channel for true crime stuff, or at least dramas. True crime? 
Let's just try. Yeah, it's not exactly the same thing. And that's the long shadow. Oh, quite a lot of depressing watching these past few weeks since the last podcast. Okay, moving on to tech. Let's talk about Audio-Technica's slow support. My advice is do not buy directly from Audio-Technica EU in the UK if you ever want a hope of support. More than a week and multiple attempts to RMA my turntable only resulted in a single email saying they aim to deal with my issue within four hours. They eventually did deal with my issue and get around to sorting out the RMA, but it was an absolute pain in the backside. Anyway, the record player's gone back. I bought myself one of those rebooted Audio-Technica sound burgers, found that I couldn't handle a manual turntable, and now I'm looking for an automatic turntable. But yeah, that's gone back. No update on finding another turntable yet. Oh, I did buy myself recently a CD, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. It's amazing. I've never had that on CD. Ah, I'm looking forward to listening to that one night. Okay, where was I? Um, Okay, next. Let's talk about the Raspberry Pi 5, and is it worth buying? Ah, right, well, you've heard my ongoing saga with a Pi. I wanted a Pi 4 for ages, couldn't get one. Then I suddenly could get one. And then Sod's Law, Evan Upton, said not to expect a Pi 5 for absolutely ages. So I did buy that Pi 4. Then a couple of months later, the Raspberry Pi Foundation release the bloody Pi 5. What the hell? Not only that, the Pi 5 is twice as fast as the 4, but it also runs hotter, has a higher power consumption, though it is more efficient, and has also had the 3.5mm audio out deleted. Given those limitations, I really do need the audio out. I'm hanging on to my Raspberry Pi 4 Model B with 8GB of RAM. And I recommend that you do the same if you are in the same situation as me and have already got a Pi 4. The Pi 4 is a good and very well supported single board computer. On the other hand, if you are in need of a new Pi and are thinking of running a desktop operating system on it every day, get the 5, as the pre-order price is only a few quid more than the equivalent Pi 4. So if you haven't already got a Pi 4 and yeah, you want to use this for desktop stuff, yeah, sure, get the Pi 5. But I'm not going to do that. I'm perfectly, well, not perfectly happy. I'm a bit irritated with the flakiness of releases from the Raspberry Pi Foundation. But I'm going to make do with my Pi 4. And I've already got the passive maze case pro from Akaza, so I'm well invested into that ecosystem at the moment. And by the way, an update on my Pi 4, it is almost ready to multi-boot. I am planning to run Raspberry Pi OS, the 64-bit version, Risk OS, and Libra Alec, after I recently installed PINN, PIN, which stands for PIN is not noob. So it's a new boot setup for the Pi. If you remember noobs, you install that on your SD card for the Pi. When you first boot up, it gives you options of what operating systems to install. PIN is a bit better because you can format the SD card to run 
multiple operating systems. And that's what I plan to do. Ah. Oh. Okay. This next item is a follow-up to the death threat. And some new crap. Uh, featuring doorstep seller aggro. It is really weird. I haven't had any contact with emergency services for maybe a decade. And now, in about a month, I've had about four interactions, roughly. A few days ago, a very angry doorstep salesman came to my door and lost his rag and swore at me when I turned down the zillionth offer to do my ruddy hedges. I don't know what's wrong with the guy. I've seen him before. I don't know why he keeps doing this. I ended up reporting him because mum, dad and me, frankly, were a bit scared by his aggression and foul language. Ah. Anyway, that incident rattled me a bit. So I tried to put it out of my mind by taking my mother out for a walk. We drove into town and then walked through the shopping centre. We'd been in John Lewis, but for a few minutes when an almighty ruckus ensued in the lighting department, which sounds like a comedy, but it's not, believe me. I went to see what was happening, and lo and behold, there be the nutter of pod 501 threatening someone else. This time, a family with a kid in the pram, not me and my mum in the park. I viscerally hate these altercations. I just don't like that kind of conflict. But at least it proves that I wasn't overreacting by reporting him in the first place. I knew that this guy would escalate, and he did that. He did exactly that. I hope I don't have to talk about this stuff again for a very long time. And then there's the car, the plumbing, and Sir Clanky. Oh dear, it never stops raining at Castle Royenstein. Next item, yeah. A few days ago, I went on a really long drive in the Eon Hawk, my blue PT cruiser, my little Millennium Falcon, to see this motorbike that was being advertised by some trader, and that drive completely finished off my car. Now, the driver's side window motor is broken. In fact, I knew that was broken before, because when I took it to have the windscreen <laughs> changed, I was already having problems with that, and the guy rolled down the window for some reason when he was changing the windscreen it wouldn't go back up and he had to yank the whole thing back up and jam it into place with rubber bungs and now the whole door is rattling a bit you can hear the glass not being held up by anything but the rubber bungs so that's not great the electric mirror has not been able to adjust properly for ages and ages almost since the day i had the car the air conditioning doesn't condition air. The ABS light now keeps coming on. And the power steering is making ominous grinding noises. With a car so bad, I don't feel confident using it. Because I do remember particularly the thing with the ABS lights. Once, years ago, my brakes... Uh, power system or something just gave up and I no longer had power brakes I had to push down manually and that is a big car it's basically a truck and that is terrifying trying to stop something that big and powerful without any power to your brakes just using muscle power so I'm a bit too scared to drive it with no car, and because of where I live, that is incredibly inconvenient. So earlier today, I had to do a lot of online shopping. I do anyway, but I've had to do a lot more than usual. 
I've ordered parts for the upcoming plumbing jobs. Yes. With winter coming, we have a problem with our plumbing that needs to be sorted out. More money trickling out holes in your pockets. <sighs> That's happening next week. And of course, without the car, I had to do all my supermarket shopping online. And the cherry on the cake, cherry on the cake, cherry on top, the cherry on top, as if all that isn't enough, a few weeks ago, my poor beloved bicycle, Sir Clanky of Castle Ryanstein, crashed into the floor when the side span decided to give up. That happened in the middle of the night. I thought the world was ending. It didn't only fall down, it landed on a now impossible to find, very rare crane bicycle bell and gouged wicked scratches into it. I'm praying that Brasso may possibly polish out the scratches, unless I make it even worse. And that side stand, which I despise now, I hate side stands, has got to go, so I have since bought a centre stand. Shortly thereafter, I also bought online on Amazon an 8mm Allen key, which, of course, is the only hex key that I don't currently own in a bag full of a tangle of the little buggers that I do own. I've got every other Allen key apart from that one. Let me just say at this juncture, don't let my sense of humour fool you into thinking that I'm alright with this disaster and I'm just tripping the light fantastic and making light of this whole incident. Well, I'm trying to, but the truth is that crash in the middle of the night was not fun. And I was inconsolable about my damaged bell, which sounds like an incredibly trivial thing to be upset about, <laughs> but that's me. I think you would be too if you saw the bell. It is beautiful and magical and sounds wonderful. If Galadriel rode a bicycle, this elegant little Japanese brass bell would adorn her handlebar. It's that good. Oh. Okay, that's the end of the off-topic gallop. Let us exit Random Wood. <laughs> I don't know what I'm calling it anymore. And trot off into the main part of the show. I've got to stop with all this horsey metaphor nonsense. Okay, the main part of the show, well... I have been talking now for almost 22 minutes, so I'm going to take a little break and then we'll do that. See you in a moment as I go and tackle my mega can of, what was it again? Monster Ultra. Yeah, you know, those, oh God, it is so big. And now it's got this weird cap on top because I got it from the petrol station and almost broke my fingernail trying to open it. But it's a swivel cap so that you can drink it safely while driving, I suppose. It's really annoying. There's no instruction or anything. Oh, well, maybe I suppose they assumed that people aren't that stupid. I always thought I wasn't stupid, but who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? I'm waffling. I'll see you in a moment. Okay, and I am back. Oh, had some more energy drink. Watched a bit more Alien. We're at the bit where our heroes have found the alien ship on the planetoid. And they're inside and investigating. And we all know what's going to happen next. But now I'm back here. I've got some science fiction, fantasy, and horror to talk about. Let's do that now. Let us begin with books. I am currently re 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 re, you know, the usual reading life, the universe, and everything. And apparently, 
The novel started off as an uncommissioned Doctor Who script, The Cricket Man. So, because it was uncommissioned, Douglas Adams adapted it into the third book of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. Oh, this is getting so meta. Okay, I had to hit pause there again for a moment because there was an almighty racket outside. And then it stopped. I thought everything was okay. Then I heard the sound of chainsaws. I don't know if you can hear any of the ruckus in the background at the moment. But there are workmen outside. It is... Let's see. Um, one seventeen fourteen in the morning. And they're cutting something down. I don't know if a tree came down or something, but there is a lot of noise going on outside. So I'm going to have to hit pause again. I'm so sorry. And then I'll get back to talking about life, the universe and everything again. I'll try and pick up where I left off, if I can remember. Okay, again, see you in a moment. I'm back again. <laughs> I think the interruption is over now. Blimey, that took a long time. It's now 0154.10. I've been away for quite a while. I can't see any lights or any sound outside. God knows what that was all about. Hopefully the interruptions are over. Let's get back to where we left off. Was I was talking about how life, the universe, and everything began life as an uncommissioned and unmade Doctor Who script by Douglas Adams called The Cricket Men. And so that material was adapted into the third book of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series using different characters. It also apparently provided the idea of a Time Lord prison for Sharda, which we've already talked about. I've probably already mentioned that, who the hell knows. Which was the one Doctor Who script, classic Doctor Who script, that Douglas Adam wrote and was commissioned. We talked about that back in pod 442. I'm glad that that happened, because this story, I feel, is too weird and too depressing for even Doctor Who. I'm also not the biggest fan of Sharda, although I do like the Professor character. I know that Douglas Adams was a Doctor Who script editor, but his writing reached its apex with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series, and the later books, but most particularly the radio series, as well as Dirk Gently, which I also greatly enjoyed. The reason I'm talking about this right now is because my re-re-re-re-re-whatever re-reading has reached the point when Slotty Botfoss has rescued Arthur and Ford from the Cricket Massacre at Lord's Cricket Ground in his spaceship-slash-Italian bistro, <laughs> which runs on the science of bistro mathematics, or bistromatics? Oh, I can't quite remember. And Slotty Bartfoss has now press-ganged our heroes into helping him. Now, to the point why I'm talking about that. As I myself badly need a holiday as well, I can't help but sympathise with Ford's extreme reluctance to go along with Slotty Bartfoss' plan, and instead his longing for sex, drugs and rock and roll. Who the hell can blame him? I need a holiday. I've been saying that for a long time. I need a holiday. Okay, on to the next book. We're talking about books this week. That's great, isn't it? 
And we are talking about films and TV as well, but it's nice to be talking about books again. Let us move on to another book. And that is Beasts. Beasts from 1976 is a science fiction book written by author John Crowley. I've read a couple of his books over the years, quite a long time ago. I read Egypt, or Egypt, sorry, Egypt, but spelt with an A at the beginning. It's not important. We'll talk about that some other time. But anyway, Beasts is about a future where human-animal hybrids are struggling for their rights in the face of extermination. The novel centres on a character called Painter. He is a Leo, that is a man crossed with a lion at a genetic level. Not literally, but a man getting on with a lion, that would be really weird. And he's helped by his highly placed government ally and friend, Reynard, a cunning lawyer and man fox. Yeah, okay. Reynard, the man fox, is a cunning lawyer. That is a bit on the nose. I read Beasts back in the 1980s, and I liked it so much, I bought and wore a bronze lion belt buckle, I still have it over in the other room, and a copper fox ring, which I think is in a wooden box in the corner. I bought the book in paperback form as part of the Galars classic series, or in second hand, a few years ago, because I remembered about the book, but I didn't really start reading it. I read a little bit, but really didn't get into it. Until, that is, a few days ago, when I suddenly had a urge to reread it. There's something really captivating about the Renard character. And I always liked the medieval Renard fables that this whole novel is based upon. Oh, you know what? Okay. Can you hear that? More noise. Oh, great. I'm just going to soldier on through this and then stop again. No, I can't do that. Oh, Jesus. What the... Ah, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to hit pause again. God, I'm losing it, man. I'm losing it. When are we ever going to finish this podcast? Where was I? Uh, yeah, I was talking about the fact that I really like the Renard character, and it's based on a series of medieval fables featuring this character and his cleverness. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, it's all allegorical. There's that. I'm enjoying the reread, and that's Beasts from 1976. If you haven't heard of that book, give it a try. Okay, that's it for books this week. Let's move on to movies, and first a follow-up from episode 502, when I talked about Last Voyage of the Demeter. That's that. Dracula film. The follow-up is regarding an error I made. I said that the Demeter was travelling to Grimsby with Dracula. Well, he wasn't. It was, in fact, as every goth worth their salt knows. <laughs> Not that I am one, but you know what I mean. Whitby. <laughs> Ah, oh, I suppose I had Grimsby on my mind because it has the word Grim in it. Hence my lapse in memory. I'm very sorry. Very, very sorry. I have to hand in my macabre membership. <laughs> macabre membership? I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. But yeah, that's a little error correction for Last Voyage of the Demeter. Okay. 
next. Gretel and Hansel. Yes, not Hansel and Gretel, but Gretel and Hansel. Gretel is the older girl looking after her brother as they starve in the woods until they come across a weird old lady. Yeah, we all know this tale. I found that the film bits that I've seen so far are stylish. The pointy hat is beautifully sinister and symbolic and used well in the introductory part of the story. The film is also strangely anachronistic looking in a manner that I found slightly reminiscent of A Company of Wolves, that 1984 excellent film by Neil Jordan. Though I didn't find Gretel and Hansel as compelling as that film. In fact, Gretel and Hansel... Did I say Hansel and Gretel? I'm sorry. Gretel and Hansel has a very slow pace. So slow that I still haven't finished watching it weeks later. Yeah, so dear. It's another one of those. A bit like Miss Peregrine's School for Peculiar Children, which I have still only partially viewed after so many years. I... Need to wrap up a lot of unfinished reviews in the next Big Geek Pod, which won't be the next one, by the way. That will be a classic Doctor Who revisit. But the one after that, I'm going to have to wrap up all those things that I've <laughs> never got round to finishing. Since I mentioned The Company of Wolves, really excellent film. Love that film. German dancer, actor and writer, Misha Burgess is superbly wolfy, and his lycanthropic transformation, with a wolf within emerging from his obscenely stretched out mouth, is fabulously grotesque. I've put a link in to a Guardian article by a chap called Chris Broughton called How We Made Film. Turning into a wolf was fantastic. How we made the company of wolves. And so, moving on to a film that I have actually watched in its entirety. And that is No One Will Save You. In No One Will Save You, we have a lonely woman in a small rural town where everyone hates her, which is everyone's worst nightmare scenario. In her isolated house, away from town, she is attacked by aliens. She determinedly puts up a fight, fighting them off with only improvised weapons and sheer blind luck. In this near dialogueless, which is novel though not silent, film, the denouement subverts the monkey's paw device in that she gets accepted back as part of the town because the aliens have taken over the bodies of all the other humans except for her because they feel sorry for her after doing a mind probe where they discover the reason for the town folks hatred of her i'm not going to spoil what that is go and see it you'll probably enjoy it the 2023 science fiction horror film combines close encounters of the third kind, poltergeist, signs, and invasion of the body snatchers. It is a beautifully filmed film, and it is tense and action-packed. It is about a quirky personality living a quirky life. For example, our protagonist has recreated the town where she is treated like a parrier at dollhouse scale so that she might feel less alone. Until, ironically, she is no longer alone, though not in a way she might have wished. Its star, Caitlin Deva, or Deva, sells us this 
unbelievable premise through sheer acting chops, playing opposite, one assumes, largely CGI characters. I found No One Will Save You brilliantly written, performed, directed, and shot, though they could have spent more on the CGI creature designs as I was not wholly convinced by the alien greys look. Their behaviour, on the other hand, very interesting, very unique. It's just the way they looked could have been better. Or maybe they could have been obscured more and not quite as clear to make them seem more sinister and then you wouldn't have to work so much on the modelling. I'm not an expert in this field. And that's No One Will Save You. Definitely worth a watch. Let us move on to television and Ahsoka. Okay, I'm going to talk about the last three episodes. And then I'll tell you what I thought. Thrawn and Ezra are found on Peridia, which is the homeworld of the Dathomiri Great Mothers. It turns out that these witches aren't magical, which is a little disappointing, but just force sensitives with a different methodology. Star Wars Legends, apparently says they were, in fact, founded by Alia, a Jedi. Ah, so, yeah, the only magic in the Star Wars universe is the Force. Ah. What else happens? Okay, Syndulla, General Syndulla, narrowly misses being court-martialed, thanks to Leia's envoy, C-3PO. Yeah, so we've seen Anakin, and now we've seen C-3PO. Great stuff. Thrawn prepares to depart, as Ahsoka makes it to Peridia in time to rescue Sabine and Ezra. At the finale, our heroes repeatedly cut down with their lightsabers night troopers as the bewitched zombie Imperials rise to fight again and again until they are decapitated. Yes, it turns out, underneath that broken and weird armour bound together by those uh, magical... Red Ribbons are zombies. After that battle, Thrawn escapes, leaving them stranded on Peridia, but at least together again. Ahsoka seems tranquil and accepts their fate. It's, although I'm not an expert, seems very Buddhist and very Jedi for someone who is supposedly a renegade. But that is how she's been written throughout the series. Whether this matches her character from the animation, I don't know, because I haven't watched that. I love how Peridia looks so distinctly spooky. Peridia also has giant wolves you can ride. And the art design, particularly the look of the Great Mothers, reminds me of the creepy work of 2000 AD's Simon Harrison, who worked on Strontium Dog and strips like Revere. You've got all that howling wind on Peridia and that blasted landscape and the dramatic jutting sharp rocks and statues and fortress-like buildings. Probably somewhere that I imagine Castle Royenstein would be. The title of episode 8, the final episode, was lifted from C.S. Lewis, The Jedi, The Witch and The Warlord. It is a wonderfully evocative title, so I'll excuse the pilferage. On the whole, the series was enjoyable. The three primary female characters were very cool and very, very sexy, but a little thinly drawn. I've said before how I thought that you don't really need to know any of the animation backstory that covers a lot of the history of Ahsoka and her allies to watch this series, but I do wonder if the 
makers of this live-action series rested on their laurels a bit and relied too much on the fandom knowing about the backstory. And maybe that's why they didn't feel like complete characters. There's also the fact that the series felt rather stretched out, like one of those Doctor Who six-parters that I don't like much. Classic Doctor Who, that is. We should have got to Thrawn sooner. And when we finally did get to Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn, Thrawn hung around Peridia for far too long. Thrawn's Star Destroyer doesn't go anywhere for three episodes, and all he does is walk around the same bit of the ship, the Chimera, talking menacingly. As good as that actor is, he did look a little bit portly. I don't want to fat shame anyone, but you know, from the books, the Timothy Zahn novels, I never envisaged Thrawn as being portly. Yeah, I don't know. There was a bit too much talking and not enough doing. Yes, I know he is a man who lives within his mind. He's a amazing strategist. But talking isn't enough. You need to do a bit of showing. This is film. There's also the contradiction when Thrawn says fighting off the Jedi was a ruse for time so that he could get away with his night troopers and go and menace the rest of the main part of the Star Wars galaxy. And then... He contradicts himself by saying, actually, I was going to kill the Jedi after all. Where the hell is the continuity in Filoni's writing? Look, I'm not going to hammer this much longer. I did enjoy the show, but it dragged on towards the end, which is not great because it's only eight episodes, and if you need to stretch something out when you've got so much going on and so many characters, there's something wrong. Also, what happened to that Dark Jedi bloke? <laughs> His apprentice rode off into the wilderness and made contact with the remaining henchmen on Peridia, but beardy bloke, we see him striding away from some big statue, I've got to catch up and read what other people have said who know more than I do. I'm curious as to what that was all about. Or was that just another dead end? I don't know. But anyway, Ahsoka is over. <laughs> Despite my criticism, I did enjoy it. Can you hear how conflicting I sound? Okay, on to Foundation. Let me give you a brief rundown about the end of the second season. And then I'll tell you what I thought, very briefly. The current brother de Cleon, the Emperor of the Galaxy, is a psychopathic nutter. Fortunately, he gets castled into the vacuum of space by Hoba. Back on Trantor, Dermazel decants new Cleons, that's new Cleons, not Nucleons. <laughs> Constance Emergency Space Pod is intercepted and rescued by AI Harry Seldon's vault that contains the Foundation, so all is not lost after the attack on the First Foundation. On the planet Ignis, the planet of the Mantalics, Salvor kills Josiah, who was possessed at the last moment by the insanely murderous Telem. In doing so, she saves Gale, her mother who's younger than herself because of some timey-wimey thing that I'm not going to go into right now. But in the process of saving her mother, she dies, thus breaking her projected meeting with the mule the future destroyer of the Empire, and proving that the future is malleable and can be changed. 
Gale Dornick and the clone Harry then go into cryosleep, waking briefly once a year to guide the development of the Sagan Foundation on Ignis. Thus ends season two of Not Foundation. Okay, this is so loosely based on Foundation that it really isn't Isaac Asimov's Foundation. It's whatever thing that David Goyer dreamt up that he wanted to do and has used the excuse that he is doing a version of Foundation. All that being said, this is incredibly filmed eye candy that I keep saying I won't watch, but somehow I still do because it is so amazing looking. That's Foundation. I'll probably keep watching this until it ends. I don't think it's got that many more seasons in it. Let's move on to Good Omens. From what you heard in my off-topic gallop, things have been a bit rubbish lately. And so, with little else to drown my sorrows... Oh, God, I'm sorry, I've got to start this bit again. There's now even more noise outside. There's this great thumping. Oh, God's sake. Okay, another break. back again <laughs> just a few minutes later ah oh, it's just one interruption after the other isn't it okay i was talking about good omens yeah been feeling a bit down so i thought i'd give good omens a try i remember liking though not particularly remembering anything of the plot of season 1 and similarly this was also an incredibly forgettable, though good-natured, adaptation from Amazon of Neil Gaiman's and Terry Pratchett's Adventures of a Swaggering Rockstar Demon and his very, very, very oh-so-nice goody-two-shoes angel best friend. In this little mini-series, Crowley, the demon, played by David Tennant, and Azir Raphael, played by Michael Sheen. Oh my god, I'm sorry, I've got to stop again. There's a chainsaw. There's a bloody chainsaw. No, that's not a chainsaw, that's a moped. That's a bastard moped. Ah, uh, where were we? <laughs> oh my god, I'm not going to finish. Okay. In the miniseries, Crowley is played by David Tennant. I've already done that bit. Okay. The demon Crowley and uh, Xerophale, the angel, hide and care for an amnesiac Gabriel who turns up at the latter's London bookshop. They also protect him from the wrath of both heaven and hell. There's a subplot involving Crowley and Xerophel interfering in the love lives of two women who are fellow shop owners. The true drama isn't with the supernatural goings-on, but in the last 15 minutes when Crowley and Xerophel's relationship comes to an impasse, and we end... Like Casablanca, only even sadder. Which is what happens when two people with very, very different long-term objectives like each other a lot, but are going in completely different directions. As for points of interest in the second season, and probably the final season, definitely the final season of Good Omens, there's the stunt casting of Mark Gatiss as a Nazi zombie. <laughs> I 
I'm also not sure how fire extinguishers are supposed to drive off the legions of hell, but they do, somehow. I really like Crowley's car. Uh, vintage Bentley. Oh man, I wish I had a car like that. And finally, Give Me Coffee or Give Me Death is a great name for a coffee shop. And now that I've said it, I'm sure there's one already out there called that. Um, what's that from? It's a... Adaptation of a completely different quote. Does it give me freedom or give me death? Something to do with the American Revolution? Okay, anyway, Good Omens, season two, probably the final season. That is it. Enjoyable enough, pleasant. Watch it over T and Gary Baldy's, which are objectively the best biscuits. And I had this argument earlier today with a guy in a bike shop. <laughs> okay, on to Loki. Yes, yes, season two of Loki. Very enjoyable. Since Sylvia, or the female Loki, booted him through the portal and murdered Kang at the end of time, Loki has been going <laughs> and jumping through time. It looks absolutely hideous when he does that, and there's a whole dialogue between him and Mobius, and Mobius says, doesn't that hurt? And Mobius says, no, not really. It really does look like it hurts. It looks like in Star Trek, when there's that transporter accident in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, it's horrible. What else? There's lots of action. There's crashes, Loki crashing through a TVA office. There's chaos. There's Loki breathing like a locomotive and sweating profusely as the trickster god tries to convince a past version of the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, that he is their ally. And the big bad Kangs are on their way to destroy everything. And that's as far as I've got so far. Only the first episode. To be honest, I'm a bit confused as to whether the TVA fixing the fractured time stream is a good or genocidal thing. And who wants what? So I might have to watch episode one again. And that's Loki. On to more TV and Lisey's story. Lisey is left widowed when her strangely imaginative author husband is assassinated by a maniacal fan. With her husband gone, her mentally afflicted sister, a self-harmer, goes into a slump, and an intriguing treasure hunt ensues. I box-setted the series, I enjoyed the deep supernatural backstory, which reminded me of what dreams may come. The Robin Williams film, adapted from a Richard Matheson story. And the theme of personal mythos is, if that's the plural of mythos, it's not just mythos, that people build between them in their relationships. I find that fascinating. On the other hand, I am sick to the back teeth of Julianne Moore playing Wounded Women, even though she does it so well, and Clive Owen playing Tragic But Lovable Men. Again, very well, but he keeps doing that. He's a bit typecasted, and let's be honest, his American accent could only be called interesting. Dane DeHaan was absolutely excellent as the completely unhinged murderous stalker. I did not like, though, how similar Longboy, a giant made up of the damned, was to the giants in Clive Barker's In the Hills, The Cities, 
that short story that he wrote. Come on, King, make up your own monsters. When you include misery, it is clear that Stephen King is deathly afraid of his fans. Okay, probably with good reason after a weird break-in by a man armed with a bomb in 1991. However... Personally speaking, as a podcaster who has occasionally interviewed people, let me assure Mr. King that I have no wish for his autograph to interview him, hang out with him, or own his papers post-mortem, despite the fact that a print of his visage is plastered on my wall for inspiration and totemic value, because I'm a writer as well. Stephen, I love your work, man, but... Not you personally. I don't know you from Adam. I'm saying this because in the past, I've been a little put out by some fearful vibes put out by some interviewees. Have you noticed how I haven't interviewed anyone for ages and ages and how I keep saying that it's not my favourite thing to do? Come on, celebs. Not all fans are stalkers. Get over yourself. God, that sounds like I don't like Stephen King. I love his work. (laughs) I'm just a bit sick to death of this whole stalker thing. But Lizzie's story as a mini-series, yeah, definitely worth a watch. Okay, on to something that we haven't done for ages. Audio. Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds. The CD set that I bought recently arrived today. I collected it from Amazon. Of course, at this stage, I've heard this many, many times already, but this is the first time I've owned it myself. That's quite nice. I'm looking forward to listening to that, perhaps in the weekend. Finally, Michael Gambon recently passed away. Everyone remembers Michael Gambon, as the second Dumbledore, taking over after the untimely death of Richard Harris. But, although I do know him from that, of course, I love Harry Potter, I remember him best as the down-and-out ancient Greek soldier of Jim Hansen's The Storyteller, Greek Myths, from 1991. R.I.P. Michael Gambon. Finally, we are almost finished now. I'm in the after-show section. My feet are absolutely killing me. My wrists are cracking as I cling onto my standing stick. I wanted to talk about a new Revisit show. Coming very soon is a new Revisit show in addition to the current classic Doctor Who Revisit that I've been doing since 2014. I know that I've been threatening to do Blake 7 for a very, very long time, but I'm not going to do that because every man-jack in the ether, rather the galaxy, is doing Terry's space revolutionaries right now. So that niche is a bit full, so instead we're doing something very, very different. But you'll have to wait to find out what that different thing is. The next show that you hear from me will be a Doctor Who revisit. Until then, the show that you've just listened to for a very long time, let's see. 1 hour, 13 minutes, 41 seconds at this point, is made by me. My name is Roy Matur. I am a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymatur.com. If you want to help because you're a very pleasant person, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen, recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy, or click on the contact or support link on the website. Goodbye, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science Fiction Fantasy and Horror Podcast, episode number... Hmm. Oh, yes. 504. Taped on Thursday, the 12th of October, 2023. And the time at the end of the show, a very, very long show, is... 
024200. Thanks for listening, and until next time, until we meet again and talk science fiction fantasy on horror, specifically classic Doctor Who, bye-bye for now. Bye! Just breaking in here at the very end to add a little addendum, I'd like to apologise for the many interruptions, as well as noises outside my home, as I occasionally hit pause on my recorder and went to take a break while waiting for those infernal workmen outside to desist. I forgot to turn off my amp again, and that means there's a little extra hiss. Also, my recent PC rebuild damaged the CPU fan and heatsink, split nylon mounting pin, and now I can hear a faint whine. Hopefully, the combined background noise is too quiet to affect tonight's taping, but I'll only find out when I edit the audio later. Oh, it's been a bit of hit and miss tonight. Oh, God, even more noise. Anyway, I'll bid you now a final good night. Good night. Loki has been going...